much about this. I think there's something to do with like WrestleMania. There is so, a like, lot to do with WrestleMania. Okay. That makes mm. so much sense to me. But aside from that, that's all I got is like Utna piss and <laughs> messy. So let's I, ditch. I have a I have a note for intros that's just like Mesopotamia <laughs> question mark. Create joke around this. Work backwards from there. Yeah. That's yeah, that's the process. Messy poo tom. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. Everybody and welcome to Paragon Marathon, a chill hangout podcast hosted by three studious siblings. I'm Dan Kidu, and I have given up my jungle strength for a beer and a sandwich. <laughs> Hi, I'm Sarah, and I'm ready to get Gilga messy. <laughs> and I, <laughs> and I, Utnapish Tom, await you at the end of the earth. Hell yeah. It's the best joke. I'm glad to see Dude, you guys no. embracing it. Piss. That's the brand. Dude, no piss. Oh, and here we are, the nasty twins coming up. All right, well, now that we're <laughs> yeah. in this erudite space of learning. <laughs> everyone, today we are talking about the Epic of Gilgamesh, a 4,000-year-old story about two huge wrestle bros and contemplation of death. Ooh. And it's kind of the story of all stories. The proto-hero, that's this guy. So can you yeah. tell me what proto-hero means? Dan? First one. First best one. Just the first. Like the, the one we did the uh, first time. Yeah, how I remember yeah. it is Proto-Man was the robot Dr. Wily got his mitts right. on first before Dr. Light could make the real good Mega Man. Oh, Mega Man was about Gilgamesh. Okay. Yeah. I don't understand how the Proto-Man comparison doesn't confuse the issue, but yeah. That's how I <laughs> see the world. I don't know how that doesn't help you guys. Proto Man has cool uh, sunglasses. Does that not make it clearer? <laughs> and it a scarf. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, good. He's slim. yeah. Red helmet. Oh, Does that mean sense. Mega Man is Enki Do? Uh, because he was built to put him in check. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Actually. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah. Epic of Gilgamesh is kind of the proto story in like a literal way and in a more metaphorical way. It's like a very you'll see this story whips ass. We're I, my understanding is we're just gonna like go through the actual story because a lot of people don't know the specific no. beats, but it's also um, usually called like the earliest written myth slash story that we have, uh, which I think is still true. It's like as old it's as pyramid wisdom literature or maybe even older and like i think dan are you going to go into this like we're doing the babylonian version which is like a little later but there are fragments of this story that are as late as as long ago as like 2700 bce oh hell yeah dude so like the bones of it story the number i see quoted around is four thousand ish years ago this story happened there was the previous Babylonian thing, which has the like slightly different names and different versions, but it was also used to compare and contrast the later Sumerian tablets they found 
to yeah. fill in the gaps because a lot of this shit is lost, is broken. So wow. it is compiled from different sources where you find them, and they're still like finding shit out. The preface to the book I was reading, which uh, the Penguin Classics edition, the Epic of Gilgamesh by, uh, is it Andrew George, Tom? Was that the guy? Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, in his foreword, has this whole thing about how, like, I had to restart the book because they found a new tablet and learned a bunch of new shit. (laughs) (laughs) And another cool thing is that these tablets were only found, like, 150 years ago. So Mm -hmm. this is, like, a new-ish area of study of the oldest thing. So this wasn't a story that was, like, kept in, like, the zeitgeist of, or, like, kept in circulation in any way. It was discovered. Yeah. But like, well, not discovered, but rediscovered by us 150 years ago and pre like potentially like 3000 years ago was totally out of circulation. Like not that long ago, that long ago it would have been in circulation. But um, the can I talk about cuneiform a bit here, Dan? I really don't want to get into that. Like, yeah, please do. But I don't want to do the history and tablets around it, especially. There's so much story and I'm already overwhelmed trying to like, I can do this in a cool, chill way. I'm not going to be breathlessly telling you every single line, Hmm. but we'll see. Well, definitely don't tell us every single line. But they're also good. I've definitely heard like various 20 minute versions of the story that are like pretty suitable. Uh, but yeah, we're gonna go harder we'll talk than that. More about yeah. It than that. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. I'm. Su- we have to talk about the historical context. People don't even know where Sumer is a lot of the time. They have no idea like what we're talking about. No, you're right. Let me correct this. I don't want to do that. This is your <laughs> thing. I have a historian brother, and I let. Right. I hope that he will tell us all that stuff. I see. Well, it's just like what Sarah said is is accurate. Like. Um, until Napoleon found Napoleon, until <laughs> Napoleon's army found the uh, Rosetta Stone, we couldn't really translate uh, cuneiform, which is the uh, oldest written script used in Mesopotamia. And that's um, and it's different than ancient Egyptian um, yeah. Yeah, hieroglyphs. Like absolutely, but, totally different language. Okay. Old. Um, we think that it like you know they're both extremely old, um, but they are comparable and. Hieroglyphs are pictograms. Cuneiform is like a series of scratches and lines and dots that you would use with like a sharpened reed on a wet clay tablet. Like a so stylus. Really easy yeah. Like. yeah, exactly. Um, and since it was on clay, it also preserved uh, really well. Like we have a lot of them that we weren't able to decode until we had the Rosetta Stone, which compared three different languages with the same inscription. Um, exactly. And when we went parchment and papery, that shit sounds cool and is probably easier to store, but does not last nearly as long as a big ass clay yeah. tablet. And it's not nearly as fireproof. Yeah, that's the <laughs> other thing. Like if, if, uh, if a library full of clay tablets burns down, they just sort of get harder. Uh, Resilient, <laughs> inspirational. Yeah. So I think that like, I think that medieval and ancient um, cultures in Mesopotamia, Iran, um, you know, the, the Middle East, Asia Minor, would probably have had some inkling of Gilgamesh and similar stories, like the Enema Elish, Babylonian gods, the Atrahasis, and similar stories. But um, the full stories would have been lost, and for certain populations, absolutely big chunks of time, it wouldn't have been in the, the cultural lexicon at all. So the Epic of Gilgamesh as, like, a concise story or myth didn't really come back into play until like a hundred something years ago uh which is pretty crazy considering it's older than all of them and as we're going to see has so many like you know mediterranean ancient world story beats 
that it fits right in. And so it's really tempting just to be like, yeah, this is officially like the grandfather of like all myth. Right. And it's astounding how like thematically it is so relevant to today. It is exactly the struggles we see heroes go through currently. Mm-hmm. And it's like a really nuanced and sophisticated look at grief and the acceptance of death. Hmm. Oh, yeah it, yeah, it absolutely slaps you guys. You're going to love this. So uh, I think I remember what we were saying, but just as a final point, some people want historical context. If your brain works like mine or just like timeline context, we think Sumerian writing uh, proto cuneiform is like as old as 3100 BCE. Um, the oldest text in the Old Testament or the he- Hebrew Bible was written down around between 700 and 600 BCE. Um, And then most of the Old Testament uh, stories and and books were written between the 7th and 5th centuries BCE. Homer, um, the stories, again, were just like the Old Testament in circulation before they got written down, but written down around the same time between 700 and 500 BCE. Um, Whereas the oldest Gilgamesh story, as I think we said, is like circa 2700 BCE. So. Like, the fact that we can pull out really similar rhythms and themes is so friggin' cool, considering it's, like, a full 2,000 years older than, like, the Odyssey and the Iliad and the Bible. <laughs> yeah. Man, and it makes you wonder, like, what was happening before that? Like, how long yeah, have we been existing this way? And our concept of, like, humanity is, like, most of the time I think of it within the last 10,000 years, but that's probably wrong right like it's super tempting <laughs> to think of people this long ago being like very simplistic and like having no culture beyond like surviving and starting agriculture or whatever but people have not yeah. changed that much right like our brains are still formed in very we similar are ways still monk yeah we dream we talk we enjoy monk. stories the whole thing oh, i thought change. you meant like the detective with ocd oh well that too we dream about Monk and his various adventures. <laughs> Does he have OCD? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Whatever. Yeah. So are you guys ready to get into the story itself? Yeah, mm-hmm. let's get meshy. Hell Seriously. yeah. So, Gilgamesh, like most people, sucks a whole bunch at first. Oh. Rude. <laughs> Rude. Right? He's a king of a glorious city. He, they had walls. This was new tech. Super rad. The yeah, city we didn't even of Uruk. City. Yeah. Which now that I think is Iraqish area. Um, Iraq. Oh. You heard Iraq. <laughs> Which is also the city where uh, Abraham comes from in the Old Testament. Is that right? It's like a shout-out, anyway. But yeah, it's like one of the first great city-states, for sure, that we know of. Yeah. It's got walls. Gilgamesh built them. Right, and they are, like, a very big sticking point. Like, walls represent city and, like, collective effort and a lot of wealth and strength. And Gilgamesh is the strongest of all. And instead of breaking it up, this time we're doing an interspersed integrated quiz... So question the first. <laughs> what is the horrible thing Gilgamesh did that made the gods intervene and answer the prayers of his people? Oh, uh, he was uh, shitty. Buzz. Sure. He was a dick. Yep. You want to be more specific? It's not wrong. Uh, 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 was he rude? 
Yes. Oh, oh he was rude. Yep. Keep going. <laughs> I have the answer. Yeah. I'm gonna buzz. Yeah. Counter buzz. Uh, prima nocta. Yep. No. Yeah, that's exactly it. <laughs> that was him. First night is what that translates to, and he was the biggest, strongest guy, and he decided that every bride has to go to his bed first. So it's like if Jason Momoa was just like waiting around like <laughs> church chapels, and being like, "No, mine, mine," like yeah, for yeah. every ruining every wedding. <laughs> it's like you can't go back once you get meshed. There's a good chance. That's really gross. And <laughs> <En> meshed. <laughs> The book describes him like a wild bull among his people. He's like the strongest and most fabulous and king of them, but they can't really do anything about it. So he's pretty tyrannical in the get-go. Because he's, uh, oh wait, no, he's he's semi-divine, right? He's, he's got a god dad. two-thirds divine, specifically. Oh, shit. <laughs> Which How is, is weird possible? with two parents. <laughs> yeah. Well, one of your parents is a half-god. Exactly. His dad, yeah. uh, who has one of the best names in the story, Lugalbanda, uh, <laughs> who was a hero king. Who was deified later. And his mom Was he died. the king of Uruk, I guess? Yeah. And yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah. I, I actually don't know if he founded a different city and then Gilgamesh is all Uruk. That doesn't come into the story here. Or at least not in any of the tablets right. I read. Sorry to get ahead of it, but does it? did Gilgamesh actually build the walls? Doesn't say. Okay. Yeah. I, I feel like he claims that at some point, but it's on, like, I don't know if he's like claiming it because he's the king of the city or like right he, like, literally did it his ownership and mastery of the walls is really what's like set in stone yeah. you can see sure. that and he it's a bragging point for him and it's a really cool like fantastical city because it's like i think three and a half square miles total but like also within the temple the gods literally live there uh so it's a it's a cool like Ancient Greece is the closest analog I can think of with you have like a temple of Zeus and Zeus is literally there sometimes. Yeah, dude. Can I like or, you know, the fucking the the special tent where God lives in the box. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> because, uh, but this was just like a thing. Like, so I keep going back to the Bible because it's like a fairly important book. And um, because culturally, like they are the inheritors of a lot of Mesopotamian shit. And also because when they wrote a lot of it, they had been shipped to Babylon (laughs) against their will to live for like a long time. But um, yeah, this Babylonian culture bleeds in from from back to Sumer in through the Neo-Assyrians and the Neo-Babylonians. Like there was this idea like this is God's house. He lives literally this God lives here um, (laughs) in this building. And the priests are the guys who hang out with them. And like, that's why we, you know, you give him meat and shit. And like, you know, maybe the priests are eating it, but you don't know. Yeah, no, exactly. It was a long, long time before gods became this, like, conceptual concept of the universe kind of thing. Yeah. Mm. Right? No, he was a dude. He had an address. It was over there. Wow. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's God's house. Yeah. He gets his mail. He goes out in a rope. <laughs> so the people say, this is untenable. Anu, father of gods, hear our prayers. Do something about this, please. And he says, okay, let me go see Aruru here. Uh, the mother goddess, his wife. And uh, he says, uh, Gilgamesh needs a play date. That'll really calm him down. The quote is, let him be a match for the storm of his heart. Let them vie with each other so Uruk may be rested. Right? Mm. Get him off my back so he can be on his. Yeah, it's pretty chill that they're not like, all right, time to kill this dude. It's like even the gods understand, like, we need this magical dude to, like, I don't know, protect us. Or just maybe it's because he's part god. 
but yeah. he's also kind of the whole kingdom is Gilgamesh, right? Like it is a yeah. reflection of his strength and wealth. So <laughs> yeah, it, like the morality of it isn't really questioned. It's just like, no, nah, just, you know, manage better. <laughs> so Enkidu is shaped, knit strong by Ninurta, Lord of Earth. He's, uh, yeah. Uh, he's got thick <laughs> hair like barley. It's long and womanly. And uh, he runs with the gazelles. He is what you might call the nature boy. Animal so, man. <laughs> so they just made... Made a dude. Uh, they Animal just made dude. Hunter H... Uh, like, they just made Triple H from <laughs> WrestleMania. Just sent out to Gilgamesh. Yeah. No, no, no. If Triple H was a magical beast boy, I would watch wrestling. <laughs> he is! What else? He is! There's do? no way. There's no way. I would have known about that. We're going to have to defer to Sarah for a lot of the wrestling equivalencies. <laughs> and I, I trust her on this. Sounds In this, he's like sort of Triple like a, he's a super Tarzan. Uh, I think a lot about RRR. Uh, Coram yeah. Bream, the jungle man. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's a lot like that. He's got jungle strength. Okay. Uh, yeah, city boy and jungle man, the classic pair. Exactly. Mm. Um, and there's a random ass, or like they don't put them together. They're not like, here you go, Gilgamesh, deal with this. They just like create a boy in the woods and he has like a whole life. So I don't know how the timeline yeah. works out. Because I was uh, sort of, like part of it is my memory of reading this like in university and part of it is reading it and watching story or documentary versions more recently but it's like they make Enkidu to 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 keep Gilgamesh in check and mm. it's not really clear what the exact plan is it's like no it's to, weird to, yeah and it's it's unclear like who is all in on the plan <laughs> and I'll get to right, that here right. so we see uh you know glorious uh herd of gazelles they're graceful. They're running, and there's a beautiful man in there with them. And a random ass hunter sees him and is troubled. And he's like, "Dad, there's a really, really, really strong, beautiful man out there. He wrecks all my animal traps, and I can't do my hunter work." And his dad says, "Oh, you should go tell Gilgamesh, and he will send you with Shamat the Harlot." And yet, so the hunter oh. quests to Uruk, and he tells Gilgamesh the same story. There's a lot of really good like oral storytelling beats, like a lot of repetition that makes it sound like a performance. So he he gives the exact same story. Help, there's a really beautiful man. He's wrecking my shit. And Gilgamesh reaches the same conclusion. He says, oh, you're going to need to take a harlot out there. Yeah, let's get Shamat. uh, Like a a beautiful woman? Yeah. Like like an escort? A high status position. (laughs) Yeah, like an escort. She's like the best escort. I'm wrong. So this isn't. Uh, Triple H. This is Macho Man Randy Savage. And, and this Miss, is Elizabeth. Miss Elizabeth. Yes. Coming to calm the beast. <laughs> oh, okay. yeah. Oh, yeah. Listen, if, if wrestling intentionally played out mythic storylines, uh, again, why aren't I watching it? Right. We have yeah, to research them it? harder is the problem. This is Hulk Hogan and Macho Man coming together, <laughs> it seems. It okay, seems. Well, from what I know about Hulk Hogan, that does line up with Gilgamesh. So. <laughs> yep. Uh, so they travel into the wilderness. Three days they go to the watering hole, and then two days waiting at the watering hole, and Kidu and his herd of gazelles show up. And the hunter says, quote, There he is, Shamat. Uncradle your bosom. Bear your sex and let him take in your charms. She did not recoil, and she took in his scent. And they like, fuck. Right. Yeah. That part <laughs> really struck me. It was like, she has to like 
immunize herself to the smell of the wild man. Yeah. <laughs> it's all matted fur, this weird, like, go fuck this Sasquatch. That's a big ask. I hope she was go paid well. Go fuck the Sasquatch. <laughs> this is the real hero of the story. Sasquatch <laughs> fucker. <laughs> Only on Discovery Channel. Next question. How long did they fuck? How long? Oh. I'm going to guess a week. Uh, it's a I long time, remember. isn't it? Yeah, that sounds right. Uh, yeah, Three days. We're, we're going to give it to Sarah. It is, uh, quote, for six days and seven nights, Enkidu was erect as he coupled with Shamat. Whoa! Yeah, that's like a <laughs> that health problem for sure. One boner so, the so whole yeah, time? She, she edged him for a week straight. <laughs> that, she's the best. That's why they needed Shamat specifically. I feel yeah. like it would be extra hard to edge an animal. Right. Like they're there to do the deed. Well, I figured I wouldn't actually take notes on the rest of the story. We could just vamp on this for the next yeah. hour and a half. Just talk about how the <laughs> mythical we animal man it. sex went. Do you think he has a deer penis or a human penis? It's actually like a duck's. It's corkscrewed. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, just to pause, I did like as soon as I Googled Enkidu, he was like the third row. That literal drawing of him as. Uh, Having sex? No, Randy Sav or Randy Macho Man and <laughs> Really? Yeah, no, this is an established headcanon. Yeah, that's Hogan and Macho Man. <laughs> it looks like it's reversed, but uh, yeah. Anyway. I could see that. Oh yeah. See yeah, oh, okay. I don't know their characterization enough. Well, Macho Man's more of a side a side character, so it feels like Hulk Hogan would be Yeah, he was like the but, flagship, right? Yeah. But then again, he is more of a hero type. This is this is hard to unpack here. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> he uh Enkidu is often represented with horns and I couldn't I didn't look very hard but I didn't see in the text him actually being described as having horns but like in some old uh like carvings mm-hmm. uh, and reliefs we actually do see him as like a man with with bull horns on his head which is neat and that might just be like because it's like a good shorthand for like beast that's how i read it yeah like because the horns aren't specific in any of the translation things i saw but i do know that that's an easy visual way to differentiate these two bearded muscle friends yeah fair Hmm. enough and yeah i'm not complaining no it's awesome uh so (laughs) immediately after a week-long fuck sesh uh Yeah, all the gazelles, who I guess were still there for that week-long Just watching. marathon, uh, they In run horror. away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Man. Uh, Enkidu is weakened. He can't run as before, but Just now he it. has reason and wide understanding. <laughs> right? Because it's unicorn rules. He's not pure anymore, so he cannot live as a carefree jungleman. Mm-hmm. So it's also Garden of Eden rules. Yeah. Um, a, a, a woman takes man out of the state of innocence. It, yep. That's a big theme that has gone forward here. Uh, and Shamat sits with him and says, you know, you should come to Uruk. Humanity's got this whole civilization thing going on. We think you might be a fan. We've got this guy Gilgamesh. Oh, my God. He's beautiful. You're going to love him. <laughs> and quote, Gil- er, Enkido, he knew by instinct he should seek a friend. Because, like, maybe that's what he was created for and has those uh, programs built in. I was created for friendship. (laughs) Hug him. Uh, Yeah, and Enkidu also is fascinated and excited about how strong he sounds. He wants to prove he's the strongest. He needs a rival to go wrestle. Oh, my God. Uh, Yeah, and she's like, oh, yeah, dude, every day is a party. We got drums. We got harlots. We got beautiful Gilgamesh. And he's like, I'm sold. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. 
And she, uh, Shamat then relates, like, you know, Gilgamesh has been dreaming of you and Kidu. More edging. He told his mother, the goddess, and he goes into the dreams here. And just a quick aside, no idea how Shamat knows what Gilgamesh's dreams were or what he said to her exactly. But uh, Gilgamesh talks about her dreams. He says, uh... There was like a meteor from the sky, he fell, and I was lifting it, but it was so heavy, and everyone in Uruk was like, wow, what a cool rock, and like kissing the rock's feet and everything. Uh, yeah. Oh, I get it. The rock, literally. Uh, (laughs) Right, this is more wrestling stuff. There's also a heavenly bull, there's gonna be more of that, yeah. Uh, quote, like a babe in arms, they were kissing its feet, like a wife, I loved it, caressed it, and embraced it. I lifted it up, set it down at your feet, and you, oh mother, you made it my equal. Uh, And Ninsun, his mother goddess, says, yep, a mighty comrade will come to you and be his friend's savior. And uh, because they do this a lot, there's a second dream, and it's very similar. Except Mm, instead of of dreams. Dude, instead of a meteor, it's an axe. And he's like, mom, they all love this axe. And I tried to lift it, it was too heavy. And everyone was kissing the axe's feet. And she says, my son... Uh, my son, the axe you saw is a friend. Like a wife, you'll love him, caress and embrace him, and I, Ninsun, shall make him your equal. Right? It's that rhythm keeps going. Uh, and then uh, Shamat's related that story. She and Enkidu fuck again for, I think, a certain number of days. I didn't write down how many a second time. Jesus Christ. Yeah. And they, uh, <laughs> oh, and she uh, cut some of her clothes up to make him some clothes, so now they have a couple's outfit. Oh, Aww. that's yeah, very, it's very sweet. cute. I just think that's a great introduction to civilization. Like, it can't get much better than that. Just, like, having sex nonstop, then getting a little fun outfit, and then <laughs> having more. Yeah. Like, Ideal vacation, for sure. <laughs> and definitely how I would have liked to wake into consciousness. Uh, so their first stop on the way to Uruk is a shepherd's camp, and Kidu gets to try bread, and he drinks seven <gasps> jugfuls of ale and gets all yeah. singing and happy. I have, That's it. Yeah. That's all of civilization right there. Bread and beer. Right. Like, He's, hell yeah, dude. He gets to uh, three drink Dan, which is like ghost of Christmas present kind of drunk. Like everything is jolly and red faced <laughs> and there's food. Like that's that's the goal. Uh, and he gets a warrior makeover. He uh, gets a haircut. He gets new clothes and learns how to fight with weapons and uh, gets a job as a shepherd. And while he's guarding the flocks one oh. night. A random dude goes by. He's like, I'm on my way to a wedding in Uruk. Yeah, it's going to be great. Except for that really awful part of every wedding where Gilgamesh fucks the bride first. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and Kidu is furious and heads straight to Uruk. And the next question appears. He's like one of those like uh, young men who convert to like a hardcore Christianity for a girlfriend. <laughs> and then all of a sudden like is, like, so disdainful of anybody who, like, <laughs> criticizes the institution of marriage. Yep. Like, I've been a human for four days, but how dare he? <laughs> also, like, he had to get a job that fast? Like, that sucks. Right. That sucks, dude. He didn't even get, like, the childhood part where it's like, oh, I'm having fun and I, I see people working, but like that will, I got time. No, I got time. his life started as a like built teenager with sex and a job. <laughs> and a marathon fuck that. Just getting old enough to drink. So maybe that makes it a little easier. But uh, question the next. What is the first impression the people of Uruk have to wrathful Enkidu? Stinky. Buzz. 
Buzz, stinky, stinky. He's stinky. Anger. Is he stinky? No. Uh, no. Everyone was already used to his scent after the fucking. Or before the fucking. And he's, he's been showered since then. Oh, okay. uh, Tom, you want to take a swing? I don't know. Scared? Yeah, he's... no. It's a question because it's specific. Because they're like, oh, wow. He's like a shorter, burlier Gilgamesh. He must drink oh. so much milk. See, that's why he's Macho Man. That's why he's Macho Man. And he gets the Miss Elizabeth right away. Like, that makes sense to me. Sorry, but does Macho Man really like milk? Is that like a canonical part of his oh character? Yeah. <laughs> and snap into a Slim Jim. Right, the oh. Slim Jim being gazelle milk. It's a, yeah. it's a weird sticking point. They're like, oh yeah, he didn't even get nursed by a human. He got that, like, muscle milk. <laughs> Look he at got that go. dog in him. <laughs> yeah. Um... So Enkidu sees this big wedding happening, and he blocks Gilgamesh's path into the wedding house. He puts his foot across the door in a, like, mm. Mr. and Mrs. Smith kind of way, or whatever that was. No, wait. Well, no, wait. <laughs> that's, like, a really hot, sultry way like blocking <laughs> yeah. the door. I honestly think that's in the text. There's a lot of, like, love him like a wife and <laughs> caress him face kind of stuff. There's a sexual Aww. tension to this wrestle. And immediately the dream comes true. People are like, wow, look at this beautiful man. Uh, kiss his feet. And Gilgamesh wrestles. And the walls shake. The door jams shake. Big ass struggle. And then Gilgamesh falls to his knee and breaks off the fight. And Enkidu, who's got the upper hand, says, hey, you're pretty cool. You're all divine <laughs> heritage and super strong. And Gilgamesh is like, do you want to be best friends? You want to come meet my mom? And he does. <laughs> Because now they're best friends. He's finally found someone to respect and maybe he learns, like, hey, I can treat people like people, not just as, like, Aww. little toys for me to rule over. And everyone rejoices. <laughs> now we have two beautiful strong men in charge of us. We love this. <laughs> Primordial warrior men gotta do his best buds. Monster crusades. Nice. And, uh, yeah. So they, uh, I'm not sure how they land on it exactly, but there's only so many bad dudes of the old mythical world. So they say, let's go fuck up Humbaba. He is guardian of the cedar forest, sacred jungle monster. And... Uh, oh, here, Enkidu, at the even thought of it, is afraid. He's like, hey, I knew that from my Tarzan times. I was in that cedar forest growing up as a sweet jungle boy. And he says, quote, Humbaba, his voice is the deluge, his speech is fire, and his breath is death, unquote. He says, this oh, is an unwinnable fight. <laughs> Undertaker. Oh, my God, it is the Undertaker, yeah. That's kind of sound like the Undertaker, um, yeah. Mm. I always remember Smog in The Hobbit describing himself and saying that his like, you know, it's like his breath is death. He's, he's, yeah, he specifically says his breath is death and like other things or other things. But it always just read like super mythic to me. Hmm. I wonder if Tolkien had read the Epic of Gilgamesh. Probably. It makes anyway. sense. Right. It's we had to check when it was rediscovered 150 years ago. Yeah, I think that lines up. Do they give any like definitive descriptions of like, is it like a lizard thing or like a dude? He's like, a huge dude. Yeah. Okay, okay. Big lion tail. Head. He's got tusks and yeah. uh, is often described as a lion and bird thing. <laughs> Probably huge in some way, but I don't oh. know. 
I imagine him huge. Yeah. Okay. He's like he's described as a demon, right? That too. Um, But he's also described as a god, like in in the power rankings. Shit. And Lil made this guy to uh, terrify men and keep safe the cedar forest because that's where like very significant and uh, what's a word for like richly coveted resource? Like cedar is a big deal. Yeah, so Mesopotamia, like, uh, you know, people probably imagine like deserts and like baked flats and stuff. And it wasn't like that. There was a lot more um, like river valleys and stuff, but still not tons of trees. Even even 4000 years ago, like trees were pretty sparse. That's why they didn't build with wood. They built with clay, like stone and mud and stuff. So it's it's a flex. Yeah, yeah. Right. Exactly. And uh, question the next. Humbaba is the second most powerful thing. What is the first? Buzz. Yeah. Is it, is it Gilgamesh? <laughs> Maybe that's how it shakes out. But that's not what I was gonna in say. the leaderboards. No, the correct answer Marduk? is... Marduk? A dad. Oh. Wait. Yeah. Which any, one? any old dad. Yeah, just some guy's dad. He's stronger than your Make dad. A dad. <laughs> uh, no, a dad is the storm god described as the supreme power. Uh, oh, that's and like, sweet. Yeah, exactly. So this is a real big bounty to chase. Um, and yeah, they leave Uruk in charge of some regions. We're like, all right, Gilgamesh, have fun. Be strong and safe. Make sure you follow Enkidu's lead. He knows the jungle ways and will bring you back safely to your wives. Aw. Yeah. And as they're going, they dig wells uh, and they make oh. an offering of flour to entreat the mountain to send a dream as a good omen. So uh, there's a big thing about how, like, oh, I didn't even give the stats. That's how. These guys travel super far, super fast. That's just, like, mm-hmm. a background way that they are mythical and better than most folks. I wrote here this separate note. <clears throat> uh, Gilgamesh's stats. He is powerful of body, majestic of beauty, 11 <laughs> cubits tall, 4 <laughs> cubits wide, his foot 3 <laughs> cubits long, his leg half a rod, 6 cubits was his stride, and his beard 3 cubits. So most of you probably don't know how much a fucking cubit is. I had to look that up. Yep, please share. And I was like, it's probably something silly because everyone in the past was short and tiny. But no, a cubit is like 44 to 53 centimeters. So Gilgamesh is 44 feet tall. (laughs) Oh, God. God. Wait. No, no, no. Wait. How many cubits tall is he? 11 cubits. Around 44 centimeters per cubit. 44 feet tall. Oh, God. Right? These Wait, are so large boys. How big was the harlot? No clue. <laughs> oh, that poor one. Well, wait, how tall is Enkidu? He's slightly cubits? shorter than Gilgamesh and a little stockier, so he might just be, you know, 10 cubits. Hard I to think say. we've stumbled upon more like ancient human giants propaganda. That's exactly it, right? Like, guys are big when they're powerful. It's Dark Souls, it's Norse giants, it's. Yeah, okay. I'm back on yeah. board. Yeah. I'm back <laughs> on board, like, baby. Right. Who, who's going to be your king? The, uh, some schmuck who's like, <laughs> I can farm real good. I have a degree or in urban The planet. giant who's like, I will crush you if you don't let me fuck your wife <laughs> right now. Yeah. Like, yeah, be my king. Be well, my king, I guess. did build us those walls, so I guess that's how we're going to do it. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Gilgamesh has I'm still a on a dad. <laughs> yeah, a dad, the storm. The divine, wrathful storm of supreme power. A dad. When you hear those stomp footsteps upstairs, yeah. you know it's coming. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> just since we're talking about giant dudes and gods, can I do a quick Tom's God corner, like super fast, like super, super, super yeah, fast? Yeah, dude. I got four hours of Gilgamesh content. We can go through that. This is dropping the bucket. Um, just like, it's really cool how much I won't do the like whole Mesopotamian pantheon, which like changes. Um, but like, you know, you got you got Sumer, and then you got the Akkadian, what's eventually called Empire, which like starts around Canaan, like the the land that would eventually be Palestine, mm-hmm. uh, and then they move into southeastern Iraq, Iraq, and uh, like take over what was Sumer, and Sumer is seen as like the heart of the culture, but then these other cities eventually appear, like Asher and. Babylon and so they all have different gods that are in prominence at different times and they also share a lot of names and incorporate each other Hmm. but it's really really cool figuring out like there's no one way to solve the puzzle of like who goes where because it's changing over time so much but um you know there is a case for Hadad or Adad is Baal in Canaan Oh, or like cool. someone who is essentially like him, like a storm slash fire slash, um, you know, war deity. Um, he wasn't he was eventually supplanted by Marduk in in Babylon as like the primary sort of Zeus type God. But like there's also a pretty plausible connection between Hadad slash Baal eventually essentially being Yahweh, the Semitic fire slash war slash storm God. Wow. So oh, fuck yeah. like. Yeah, and then obviously, like, you know, Zeus or Jupiter are functionally the same as those guys, too. So in the Levant, like, Zeus and Baal and or Hadad previously might as well be the same guy. Dude, yeah. Which is just kind of neat. There was so many, like, contemporary things. One of my uh, ancient studies of Greek professors talked about um, how Cronus, in one of the versions, talks about borrowing his sickle that he castrates his father with from Marduk. Like mm-hmm. they're like, yeah, it's literally the same sickle that they used to like kill the serpent to make the waters, the fresh. Dude. Yeah. Yeah. Marduk killing uh, the elder gods of, of salt water and fresh water is like so similar to the, the Titans. And oh, exactly. And um, right. It's super cool to see those parallels and realize mm-hmm. we were all telling the same kind of story. Hell yeah. Right. You kill a big fish. You get to be king of the universe. That's that's <laughs> the way it goes, baby. Hell yeah. yeah. And that, that makes sense to me. I value our fisherman's brave sacrifice. Yeah. Uh, first dream. <laughs> He's, you know, made this offering and he goes down looking for a special dream for it. He, uh, Gilgamesh wakes up all sweaty. He's like, oh, did you touch me? Was there a God here? What was that? He starts telling his dreams. And he says, uh, you and I were on a mountainside, and then it, it crashed in between us. And then as flies, we flew over it. And Enkidu's like, oh, hell yeah. That mountain, that was Humbaba. We're going to wreck his <laughs> shit entirely, and the sun god Shamash is going to love it. So they, He literally yeah. wakes up in the middle of the night, turns to Enkidu, and says, would you still love me if I was a fly? <laughs> oh, yep. he will. Ultimate bro road trip where they find <laughs> true love and heroic conquest. Uh, so they do another day. They travel so long because they're so tall. They walk so far. They break bread. They make an offering of flour. And Kidu mm. builds another dream house. And uh, Gilgamesh sleeps. And he dreams, I was, a mount- I was holding up a mountain with my shoulder. And it fell upon me like an avalanche. And then a man like a lion with a fearsome aura. He was super hot. He grabbed my arm and he pulled me out. <laughs> and Kidu says, oh, yeah, that makes sense. 
you have a warrior struggle with Humbaba, who's strong like a mountain, but then King Shamash, the sun god, will clasp your hand and help you out. Uh, Yeah, Gilgamesh is comforted. They do another day. Offer a flower, build dream house, third dream. It was chaos and confusion. The heavens cried aloud. Earth uh, did rumble and darkness was all around us. There was lightning and then fire. Death rained down. The blazing, uh, the blazing bright fire fades and then dies down to cinders. And Kidu's like, oh, this one's even luckier. You're going to turn his weapons to ash and soon achieve all your plans and also have good luck in lotteries. Your lucky numbers are seven, 69, 420. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of dream this interpretation is... I like out of Kidu here. And he's so confident. Like, is he right? I guess he is, because that's the story. But, like... Yep. Yeah, he's yeah, not wrong. He's the, uh, like, crystal-having, uh, you know, Arizona mom, but also oh. his boyfriend. Yeah, he's a, he's a good dude. <laughs> it's like, I like the idea that dream interpretation is so important, and it makes sense in, in a lot of myths to navigate this way, but also like he literally talks to gods sometimes <laughs> who are presumably making this reality happen. So they could just tell him things. Yeah. No, it's unless it doesn't work that way, which is fine. I just, I just, yeah, whatever. Right. There's whatever. a lot of prophetic dreams for like a bunch of different characters. Gilgamesh, his mom, uh, and Kidu all have dreams with portents and like actual, like seeing the gods discuss things. And then all that comes to pass. And I guess yeah. it's a, a like a nice way of just sort of conveying to your readership or your audience what the characters are like anxious about hmm. uh, without them having to say, like, I'm anxious about this. Yeah. Maybe. Or that's something this story does so well is it really takes the time to be like Enkidu and Gilgamesh were so scared. They have very like human yeah. reactions to the thought of impending death, especially after Gilgamesh sort of experiences loss and grief and has a concept of his own mortality again. I know, like, it's so great. Obviously, we're getting to it, and I'm not, I'm sort of spoiling it as I say this, but, like, the first half of the story is, like, it feels, it has all the steps of, like, an adventure epic myth, and then, like, after it's over is the actual cool part of the story. Uh, Like, it's a whole second story about just, like, not wanting to die. (laughs) It's the best. Oh, my God. I... I was trying to make a Dune reference, and my head's so full of Gilgamesh, I forgot what the second book of Dune is called. Oh. Messiah. <laughs> Just Messiah? Is that it? That sounds easy. Mm-hmm. God. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry, Frank Herbert. Herbert. I will offer you some flour and beseech you for a prophetic dream. <laughs> dream four. After another <laughs> okay. day of walking. Uh... He says, this dream was even crazier than all the last ones. There was a lion bird flying over us. His mouth was fire. His breath was death. And there was a strange man who snatched that nasty bird and bound its wings and threw it down to my feet. And Enkidu is just over the moon. He says, oh, fuck it. Yeah, that guy. You're never going to believe it. That was Shamash. Uh, he's going to tear. Yeah, Shamash, They're that back? dude. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what you said. Epic Ninja Turtle raps versus the original Renaissance. This is like a terrible <laughs> Never mind. Never mind. Delete. Be gone. Never. Oh, yeah. And Kidu's takeaway is we're going to mess up Humbaba. We're going to tie him up and stand on him. It's going to be great. Ah. And then they have a fifth day of walking in another dream because they think, uh, you know, five will really round it out in the story here. And he says, this dream was especially ominous. I had this wild bull in my arms. I was wrestling and kicking up dust. And there's some, like, 
words missing in the tablets. So there's some inferred stuff and stuff checked with other versions of the story. But it's like, and then I was like hugging and kissing this bull in my arms. And a random guy pulled me off and gave me a drink from his water skin. And Kidu is like, oh, yeah, set aside your anxieties, my guy. That bull isn't Humbaba. He's too weird and cool to be a bull in your dreams. That was definitely Shamash. And the water man was your dad guardian god, Lugalbanda. We're going to do a team up on this dude and we will not lose. But you got to kiss him a little. There's a little kiss. There's a little kiss <laughs> of death. Right. Messy. So finally, the two road trip friends get to the sacred cedar forest. There are huge trees, 60 cubits, if you're curious. Which is, yeah, six is times bigger big than Gilgamesh. Right. Yeah. Oh, okay. okay. Well, wait, I thought he was 44 cubits. No, he's 44, no, he's 44 feet, feet, 11 feet. cubits. Yeah, I was doing the conversion there. Nope. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, get your cubits yeah. straight. So he says the precious resin drizzles down like rain and like shoots off into rivers and ravines. Like this precious resource is so plentiful here. There are birds going nuts. There's a cricket, a wood pigeon, a turtle dove, a stork, and a Franklin, Uh, which is another. It's like a quail. I learned that up. (laughs) Yeah. And he says there are monkey moms singing. And younger monkeys, and quote, daily they bash out a rhythm in the presence of Humbaba. Unquote. So he's uh, just having a constant dance. He's fucking King Louis, just partying <laughs> all the time <laughs> in his jungle, talking about how much better he is than humans. Humbaba is? Yep. Entirely that. Yeah. <laughs> he's very sure of himself. Uh, I mean, and if you now, get monkeys to, like, serenade you constantly, that's pretty good. Yeah, if your life is constantly inspiring monkey parties, you're doing yeah. it right. <laughs> uh, Gilgamesh is scared. He's like, this is so wild, man. He's all trembling and stiff. And, and Kidu says, nah, man, we got to go in hard and fast. And Gilgamesh says, yeah, why do you even come here just to be scared? And Kidu says, hey, man, you remember how rad and strong you are? Don't be scared. Let's just go crazy on him. He says, do a berserker frenzy and scream your jitters away. And Gilgamesh says, quote, take my hand, friend, and we shall go on together. Let your thoughts dwell on combat. Forget death and seek life. And then they draw their swords and axes. And Humbaba says, oh, is that in Kidu? I knew you from jungle days. And Kidu's like, yeah, but there's two of us, so you're definitely not going to beat us now. And he's trying to, like, rally Gilgamesh with his words about how good their teamwork is. He's like, come on, Gilgamesh, we can do it. Call on Shamash. He's your favorite god. We can do this. Gilgamesh is crying. He's like, don't forget, Shamash, I put my trust in you. Please help me and all my descendants forever. And Shamash, his voice booms down from the skies. He's like, yeah, man, don't even worry about it. You go, don't let him get to his sacred grove. He will wrap himself in seven cloaks. His, uh, like, his auras are make him indestructible. He's only got one on right now, so you could probably do it. Don't let me get to my zone. Yeah, you gotta not. There is very specific way to not get wiped in this raid. And he gets all those cloaks. Woo. Uh, so they all rush and charge in together. Uh, Humbaba says Gilgamesh is a rude idiot. And Kiju is the fatherless son of a fish who never had his mother's milk. I knew you in your Mowgli times. I could have eaten you whenever I wanted. And I'm going to murder you and really desecrate Gilgamesh's body. Yeah, this is wrestling. This is WrestleMania. This is, this is the ultimate warrior coming down from his alien like crusade oh my and God. taking on 
Macho Man and Hulk Hogan. There's no other way around this. Oh, is that? <laughs> no, that's exactly it. You're entirely right. Uh, uh, Tom, did you just post Humbaba in the chat? And is that yeah. his dick as a snake? He's got a snake penis. Ooh, <laughs> that's a lot of my fears coming back. But still normal testicles. Well, that's good. And also a butt <laughs> snake, it looks like. Yeah, yeah. Mm. <laughs> snake to be this first one's friend in case he gets lonely. He kind of looks like a big rubber uh, Buffy villain. I'm just like, you yeah. know, demon. <laughs> yeah. We'll figure it out as we ride. Some of them just look like a lion. Yeah. Uh, and like after that boast, Gilgamesh is like, actually, he seems really confident that he can kill us. Do you think we can do this? And Kidu <laughs> says, quote, why, my friend, do you speak like a coward? With your feeble talk, you vex my heart. And he says, like, essentially, we are already in it. It's too late to turn back. Please hit him as hard as you can. Please. And nine times Gilgamesh smote the bedrock. The mountain broke up. Gilgamesh attacks like a lion. And Kidu pounces like a puma. And Humbaba tries to fly them up into the sky to crash them down through the ground and into the ocean forever. That's lit. It's fucking wild. That's, oh my god. That's so sweet. That's what's that move? Like it's a fucking seismic toss. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> pile driver. Yeah, atomic pile driver. Uh, but he can't reach the sky. It's too high, and he comes back down. And doesn't even break the earth. And our next question: Shamash at this point sends in his divine aid, and he calls the winds to help Gilgamesh. But how many winds exactly does Shamash Twelve. send? Twelve. Interesting, Sarah. Uh, th- uh, three. Ooh, Tom's closest, but it was 13. It <laughs> closest to without going wow. over. You get the point. That's that's a lot of wins. It's so many wins, and we're going to name them for you. You got south. No. <laughs> you got north, <laughs> east, west. And then you got blast, counterblast, typhoon, <laughs> hurricane, tempest, devil wind, frost wind, gale, and tornado. And fort? Uh- <laughs> <laughs> I'm That's sorry. the devil what wind. We know that. Thirteenth yeah. <laughs> wind. Uh, yeah, this is very Final Fantasy. I see why they leaned into it. Oh hell yeah, dude! The winds trap Humbaba, and then the weapons of Gilgamesh then conquered Humbaba. Uh, and yeah, so they've got him down <laughs> on his knees. Fucking brains, it, baby. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Humbaba starts flattering them. <laughs> and he's like, "Hey, Gilgamesh. Yeah, you know, Shamash got me. That was great. But you know, a dead man would never please a master, right? But like a live slave, oh, he would love that. Be merciful. Let me stay in the forest, and I will be the best groundskeeper you ever had." Oh. Yeah. And Enkidu is like, "Don't listen, man. This is a trap. If you let him go, he's just gonna go put on those seven cloaks of invincibility and kill the fuck out of us." <laughs> <laughs> and Humbaba, will you? Humbaba yeah, laments. He's like, "Oh, if only I had fucking strung you up and fed you to birds, Enkidu. Please tell Gilgamesh to spare my life." And Kidu says, "Hey, if you keep listening to this guy talk on and on, the gods will turn against us. They wanted us to kill him. <laughs> just do it, and we could be famous legends." Baba said, may the pair of them not grow old. Besides, Gilgamesh, his friend, none shall bury Enkidu. Uh, He starts cursing him. He's cursing him with his mouth. So Gilgamesh then comes to his senses, stabs him in the neck, and Enkidu cuts out his heart and lungs. Damn. Yeah. Quest over. Enkidu seems really capable uh, and really on top of things. Right? He's kind of detail-oriented, really helps Gilgamesh (laughs) see his projects through. 
Gilgamesh <laughs> is clearly like powerful and worthwhile, but I think he's kind of off his game from a number of decades of just like crashing weddings. Right. <laughs> Nothing else. This feels like the first hard thing he might have ever done. <laughs> uh, had a very hard life. <laughs> <laughs> just every day a party with prostitutes and drums and wives to take. Uh, but yeah, so blood and gore are falling in buckets and buckets and buckets on the mountain. Gilgamesh takes the Humbaba's tusks as a trophy and they cut his head to bring back. Um, and Enkidu sort of looks around at how bad they have messed up this place. And he's like, how are we going to make this up to Enlil, the, like the nature god that appointed Humbaba as guardian of this place? Uh, so they go and they find like the best cedars. They make a raft out of cypress and they take their beautiful log that is so precious uh, down to make a door for the temple of Enil, Enlil in Nippur. Uh, yeah, so they're like, yep, this should do it. Pease him. We've killed the thing. Everything's great. And upon coming home, uh, Gilgamesh cleans up. He goes fucking straight to the drip, gets his shiniest shit on. There's lots of lapis nice. lazuli. His beard is all oiled and nice. And he's got his favorite crown. They liked a greasy beard back then? Oh, yeah. They liked a slick. Keep them greasy. No one likes Ooh. a dry beard. Yeah, like I always think of when I think of this general area, like I think Assyrian stuff comes to mind most, but it's like it's all evoking its own like the region's historical legacy. But you guys know what I'm talking about, like the the pointy ass, huge beards and like the oh. tall hats yeah, and like curly yeah. black hair, very shiny. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Uh, it's it's a very distinct look. Uh, often on like I, I think people think of like the the uh, the winged. Horse dudes with the person head. Yeah. Like maybe they're on like the Ishtar uh, gate or sweet. something. Yeah, okay. yeah. Those guys. Let's take uh now that now that Humbaba is defeated, let's take a quick break before we come back to Gilgamesh and Kidu party time. Short hum bye bye. <laughs> <laughs> Say hum bye bye, you dick. And then he swords him. Yeah. <laughs> So are you guys ready for the party? Yeah. yeah. Right. So we're back in Uruk. Everyone's celebrating. Everyone looks amazing. Oh, and Ishtar, goddess of love and war, is definitely picking up what Gilgamesh is putting down. Wait, so Ishtar isn't his mommy? Who's his no, mommy? His yeah. mommy was Ninsun. Ninsun. Okay. Yeah. My bad. Different guy. Okay. This one wants... To get with him, says, be my bridegroom and you'll be the richest, fanciest himbo of all time. Your goats will have triplets and you're, you got so many jewels. Oh, you won't even know what to do with them. And Gilgamesh says, your love is toxic, babe. All your husbands <laughs> and everything you love is ruined. And then he gives her a quick recap of her marital failings. He says, oh, really? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Bald. First, there's that horse you loved. Not in a marriage way, I don't think. But the, the famous war horse, you changed his destiny to a 70-league gallop to only drink muddy water and doomed his mother to cry forever. <gasps> then there was a shepherd that you loved, but when you scorned him, you turned him into a wolf. So his own dogs and other shepherd friends now chase him around and make his life hell. And then there was Ishulanu, your father's gardener. He used to bring you dates on plates. And when he questioned your intentions, <laughs> you made him really short. Too short to do his work anymore. Oh, how, many, no. how many cubits? How many cubits? 
He's half Cuban. Knee high to a frog. Yeah. He's like Mario after he takes damage. <laughs> yep, that's where that comes from for sure. Um, Ishtar does not take this well. She is upset. She goes to her parents, Anu and Antu, and says, Gilgamesh is slandering me. Give me the bull of heaven to kill him, or I will smash the gates of the netherworld and raise the dead to eat everyone alive. This, um, just to make a, a an interjection, this reminds me of the Arachne moment with Athena, where Ooh. a god is like, check me out, I'm sick, you should be honored to be around me doing the thing we're doing, and the mortal is like, um, don't you fucking suck, though? Like, aren't you an asshole? <laughs> Point of order. And they're like, yeah. <laughs> how very dare you? Are you coming for me? Yeah. Excuse me? <laughs> yeah. Getting doxxed. Fucking eternal punishment. Uh, so Anu hears this and says, okay. And I think he's trying to, like, placate her and cool her down. He says, but first, mm. before I give you the bull of heaven, uh, gather seven years of chaff and grow seven years of hay. And Ishtar's like, I already did. I already have that. And I says, well, <laughs> all right, here you go. Here's a bull. <laughs> I'm always doing that in case I need to punish a mortal right now. <laughs> I'm stocking up on the god currency to have the bull ruin everything. She's at, like, year three of Stardew. Like, she's <laughs> That's already right. Got yeah, money is silence. irrelevant. <laughs> Done. <laughs> so this bull really desolates the land. He wrecks up the place that he even lowers the river by seven whole cubits. Just, I know you're devastated. It's awful. Jesus. That's half a Gilgamesh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, uh, so the bull snorts and it opens up a pit and a hundred men of Uruk fall in it. <laughs> and he snorts and a second pit opens and 200 more men fall in that pit and die. This is a pretty potent bull, actually. It, right? He's just making holes and people are falling in him. <laughs> it's fucking wild. Third pit. But only Enkidu falls, and he only falls <gasps> waist deep. Maybe because he's fucking 40 feet tall. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. He's fucking... It's like mech fights. This is like uh, Pacific Rim, except it's <laughs> your god and a heaven I really bolt. like. <laughs> I really like the attention to detail of writing a story being like, okay, this guy is 11 cubits tall. Wait, this how long is, is his leg? Tall. Is it a rod? Here's yeah. here's, a, here's a, a monster, and what it does is make exactly six cubit holes. So, you know, you can... <laughs> You can you can imagine for yourself what happens when this eleven cubit dude falls in this six cubit hole, and the reader's like, "Mm hmm, mm hmm." <laughs> With my minor action, I roll to sneak out of the hole. <laughs> yeah, they're all just playing D and D. I love it. Uh, so yeah, Enkidu from his hole is like, "I got it," and he jumps and he grabs the horns, and the bull is all spitting in his face, and it makes careful note to tell you that his tail is also swirling around, flicking shit everywhere. Ew. Yeah, and Enkidu's like, Gilgamesh, I can tell how strong he is now that I've grabbed him. Let's do a combo attack. And Enkidu grabs the tail, steps on his back legs, and Gilgamesh stabs the bull, quote, between the yoke of the horns and the slaughter spot, which is, I guess, mm. what you're aiming for, the critical weak spot on a cow you murder. Is that the back yeah. of the neck? I think it's about the back of the neck. Yeah, okay. Yeah. The brain? Mm-hmm. Did they know what brains were back then? Did they know? No, oh, they seen them Maybe. when they're chopping them, yeah. I'm sure. Well, so yeah, they have defeated the bull. They cut out his heart and offer it to Shamash, their favorite sun god. Ishtar has been watching from the top of the walls of Uruk, and she's stomping and wailing. And uh, Enkidu sees her and tears off the shoulder of the bull and throws it at her. <laughs> He's like, Ew. had I caught you too, I'd have treated you likewise. I'd have draped your arms in its guts, end quote. 
But he's like, Jesus. it's pretty understandable because she just like basically tried to destroy the city. Right. To- and threatened to end humanity, like the whole world. <laughs> so oh. <laughs> right, by raising the dead into zombies to murder everyone, it says like there would be more zombies than people. That would be the end of it. Walls don't stop zombies. Uh, yeah, we've learned that. Yeah. So then uh, Ishtar has a little uh, memorial service for the shoulder. She gathers all courtesans, prostitutes, and harlots and has a funeral for the shoulder. The, sh- the, shul- the, the bull shoulder? The bull shoulder, the bull shoulder that uh, threw at her? Yeah. <laughs> and that- yeah, I really love, <laughs> love that, like, this, like, gods go hard at people who deserve it or not all the time. And, like, sometimes they get sort of broadly thwarted, but they don't often get, like, a disgusting bloody thing thrown at their face in a way that like embarrasses them and like belittles them yeah. in front of everybody. So like Enkidu fucking rules. I yeah, this so is much. him throwing Vince McMahon's face into Rikishi's butt. Yes, <laughs> yes. It's my one wrestling <laughs> wrestling reference. <laughs> Uh, so Gilgamesh calls all his craftsmen and he says, get these horns. There's like 30 pounds worth of lapis lazuli, which is just a lot of jewel. And yeah. each one could hold 60 bushels of oil in like the horn, like a drinky horn. So he gives one. How many cubits in a bushel? Oh, this is about a quart of bushels into cubes. <laughs> the cubed bushel. Cubits cubed, yeah. <laughs> if you want to do volume. Yeah. So he uh, gives one of the horns to his dad's temple, Lugobanda, and one on his wall. They, uh, Gilgamesh and Q wash off all that gore and they have a big party where Gilgamesh is like, uh, calling out to the crowd. Like, who's the finest among men? Who's the most glorious of fellows? And they're all like, Gilgamesh, you know how wrestling works. <laughs> yeah, it works so well. But then after the party, Enkidu dreams and he dreams about the assembly of the gods. There's Anu and he's pissed saying, hey, these two awesome bros, they must die. And Enlil says, make sure it's Enkidu that dies, not Gilgamesh. And Shamash, the sun god, says, didn't you ask them to kill Humbaba and the bull? And then Enlil says, you shut up. You were like their best friend <laughs> going with their whole road trip. You're playing favorites, <laughs> not me. And Enkidu wakes, and he knows he is doomed. He monologues to the fancy uh, door timber they brought back, the big cedar <laughs> tree. Uh-huh. And he says, quote, Nope, this is not a quote. <laughs> I just wrote quotation marks around him saying, you were the best tree ever and still not good enough to appease the gods. I should have made you into a gift for Shamash instead of Enlil. And he tears off his clothes and his finery and he weeps. And Gilgamesh. Um, oh, yeah. Yes, sorry. Well, I was, I was just going to say it's really neat to imagine like a culture that's all like stonework and clay where like organic material like wood is like uh, sought after and prized and even revered. That's just neat. The, the yeah. imagery of it is, is pretty cool. Oh, yeah. It aligns more with, like, our... Anyway. No, I don't know That's you were it. thinking it. They do that in Book 6 of Dune as well. Of course. Yep. Super it's cedar a, or some shit. It's amazing how many different ways we've created to live on this planet. Like, human beings, for all of their problems, are so creative and fascinating. Because mm-hmm. we go from everything from, like, pits in the ground to, like, living in caves in different parts of, like, is it Turkey? They have those cave systems that people lived in. Oh, yeah, dude. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, to log cabins in the North Americas and like teepees using like different animal skins. skins. Yeah. It, it's amazing. We're, we're so industrious. And it's a shame that we're using that for evil now. But oh, yeah. before. We've gotten ahead neat. of ourselves. Yeah. But it is cool that like how much <laughs> you can learn about a society from like what they value. Uh, mm-hmm. And yeah, it's so cool that it's trees in this region. Yeah. Like it's ultimately arbitrary. 
They would yeah. have access to like palm trees, though, right? Like in that area, like Ooh, different dates and I don't really think so. I think that's more like dates. Uh, we know they mentioned closer dates. to yeah, yeah, for sure. But those are like fruiting trees, I guess, that they would want to preserve for the food. I will ask so. an arborist. Thank I think you. I know a couple of them. <laughs> um. So Gilgamesh is, you know, they're sleeping next to each other for sure. And I don't know if that's just because it's like party rules. Everyone crashes on the rug on the sleep afterwards or if that's just how they do because they're best kissing friends. He says, hey, don't be all crazy. Don't be scared. I will make sweet offerings and everything will be cool. Uh, And Kidu, he pleads to Shamash and he curses the hunter and Shamat for ruining his innocence. He says, why do I have to do this at all? And he gets like very specific on uh, different ways he wishes ill on these people. It, uh, I won't go into it because it's like a four-page quote, but the, yeah. the gist of it is like, wives will come after you for taking their husbands astray. You will have no money, and an owl will live in your house, and you will hate it. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I would hate that. <laughs> it's fucking owl everywhere. Him looking at you and leaving pellets? Mm-hmm. Pellets. And then uh, Shamash, the sky god, again, answers because he's also like sort of just present in all of their conversations because he's definitely hanging out. And he reminds uh, Enkidu about how great bread was and how much he enjoyed fucking and all the kind (laughs) things that society has to offer. Remember bread? And he's like, and don't even worry, Gilgamesh is going to throw you the best funeral ever. (laughs) <laughs> and this calms Enkidu. <laughs> he wishes for nice things and sort of does the whole litany again, but it's an opposite curse, a blessing on Shamat, saying everyone will pay to have sex with you, and husbands will leave their wives even if they have seven kids with them. And I'm like, that's a <laughs> interesting blessing. Um, but then he also has a dream of the underworld, and this part is mostly broken up. We don't get a lot of it from the tablets surviving. But uh, the little bit is cool. He tells Gilgamesh about how he was like, I was dressed up like a like a bird, like a little powerless thing in the hands of a big lion bird man. And he crushed me and you were there and you were scared. And then I was put into the realm of dust, clay and darkness. There were just like piles of crowns in the dust and the rest of, uh, yeah, like showing, you know, no matter how eternal you think your shit is, all of it, dust to dust. Ooh. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, and the rest of the vision is lost after he's just sort of trussed up like a bird and put in front of the queen of the underworld, Ereshkigal. And oh, it's a queen. Yeah. And Love it. he says, don't forget me, Gilgamesh. And then he starts to grow sick, and he gets worse for 12 days, and he laments that he can't die a warrior's death. And then he passes. And Gilgamesh is, like, fucking distraught the whole time. Yeah, Yeah. dude, me too. He is wailing, he's tearing his hair up, he's questioning, like, why did we even do heroic adventures? You can't be, you can't live forever just with a legacy of heroism. And he orders a very, very gorgeous statue. It's all full of jewels. We hear how many cubits it is. I can't remember. I think it's, like, 50. Whoa. Dang. No, that's probably not it. But it's definitely encrusted with the finest jewels and all the good cedar. And uh, to make sure no one can ever tamper with the tam- uh, the tomb, he diverts the river, the big one in Mesopotamia. I think the Euphrates, not the Tigris. Doesn't matter. Yeah. But uh, then they bury him under it and then let the river flow back over it. So he's got a, you know, it's a super cool way to do a grave robber proof tomb, put it under a river. Wow. That's uh, my understanding is that that 
has been attributed to various mythic figures. Yeah. Uh, some tomb, real historical figures. Rivers. Yeah, like we diverted the river and put his tomb where the river would go back to in its original course. It's just like kind of magical and like respectful. Magical is like the word. didn't happen. Right, because yeah. like water is that barrier sort of between the world and the underworld too. Mm. Like there is a Absolutely. mystic quality to it. Hell yeah. There are very important magical rivers in all the different realms and pantheons. Uh, yeah, so then this is where my notes get a little... I was like, oh, God, I've been too detail-oriented, so we're going a little broader strokes from here on okay. out. Okay. <laughs> uh, to give you... Yeah, and, and that's good, because um, we can talk more generally about the, the stuff in the second half of the story, but... Um, mm-hmm. It's a little more conceptual. This is one of the... Like, the, the my understanding is that the majority of the, like, com- quote-unquote complete Gilgamesh narrative that usually gets told is mostly, I think, the Babylonian one, which is still supremely old, and obviously... Some parts of the story are present in every version, um, but there are some big discrepancies or different focuses for different stories. And um, there are two really old fragments that um, or or there's one in particular that is from that, like, you know, 2000 to 2500 BCE era where uh, Enkidu talks at length about. He gets to, like, come back from the underworld to visit visit Gilgamesh and just, like, Aww. tell him about what the underworld is like and how bad it sucks. Oh, <laughs> yeah. really? Um, Everyone eats dust and everything's clay. Yeah. It's all dark. <laughs> it's not great. It's not great. <laughs> yeah. um, but I do like, like, there, there are, again, like, a lot of consistencies with the underworld in Mediterranean ancient civilizations. Like, Greece is the most well-known example. The underworld isn't, like, hell, a place of suffering, but it's also not great and there like might be like different levels of like how chill it is based on what you do in your life but really it's just sort of like the sterile lame place where you go when you die nothingness Um, yeah it's like sheol i was gonna say that makes a lot of sense to me that the judaism one would have these same elements to it yeah quiet exactly dark cold dusty wow yeah, and not painful, but like kind of lame. No, and like and again, <laughs> while there is like some criteria about like yeah, you'll do better there if you have lots of sons because then they'll give you more sacrifices to eat. There's it's not like the Christian morality we would recognize the same way of like good and bad. That shit, I think, was like more of a Egyptian addition later, or yeah. in like probably Zoroastrian or some shit. Mm. I don't remember what that's they did. interesting. Like bringing morals into death afterwards. The idea that yeah, you would concept. be punished or rewarded based on your life choices. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, The one of the really good podcasts we listened to about this really harps on the fact that one of the examples of a guy ended up in hell because he fell off a roof. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just what? Like, Not cool. Hell forever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the Incredible Literature and History Podcast. Yeah. Real fun. And that is one of the, and he even wrote a song about the roof guy <laughs> injustice of falling off a roof and going to suffer in hell forever which is a lot like that um, dude in the odyssey now that i think about it <laughs> <laughs> fall off roof go roof straight guy. to hell yeah <laughs> i wonder what that means for humanity why that yeah, kept alive I, I, I was thinking about that too like why would the gods specifically call that out and is it like don't be stupid when you're on your roof be careful <laughs> uh <laughs> why are you not clipped in <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to tell my... Respect the yeah, roof. <laughs> my climbing friends. You need a DeWalt ladder. You need to trust your 
<laughs> like, yeah, you can fight ogres and gods and demons or whatever, but the one time we don't mess around is when we're doing roof maintenance. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so Gilgamesh, oh, this is where I did that same joke y'all did earlier. Gilgamesh is a Gilgamesh. Oh, he yeah. is. Right? He is, uh, he becomes like hollow, his cheeks, he discards all of his rich goods, is just clothed in like lion furs that he gets from his hobo wanderings. And he decides, you know what? This was the worst thing ever. I will never die. And his, <laughs> his big idea is he knows that there is one immortal man who was, you know, given reprieve to not die and share the fate of every human. And Vampire? that's our favorite dude, Utenapishti, who is Moses. He survived the Great Flood. He made a big He's boat. Noah. That's what I meant. Noah. <laughs> but without all the children fucking that he did. This guy's even ah. cool. He just has a wife. Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> When it's I tell people that <laughs> interpretation of the story, they're like, what the fuck are you doing? What are you talking about? You're reading like that is not a common interpretation of the naked Noah party time with his sons. Uh, and his daughters seeing his nakedness and doing that to procreate. I thought that was an established part of the canon because that's no, where the uh, people come l- from. Lot has sex with his daughters and it's where the, like all the Moabites and Elamites come from. Oh, yeah. Um, but Noah's sons see him uh, drunk and naked and maybe with a, a big one. And that was uh, the curse of Ham, right? Because one of the sons yeah. came back. He's like, I totally saw dad's dick and it was wild. And they're like, shameful. Yeah. All yeah. of your descendants will be slaves. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. yeah. That's literally saw, the right? uh, it's literally American yeah. evangelicals literally in the 1800s and 1900s were like, yeah, black people are sons of Ham and that's why they're slaves. Because their ancestors they saw, saw a, a dick. Yeah. That's in a disrespectful cool. context. Mm-hmm. Not anyway. cool, guys. <laughs> right? Even worse than falling <laughs> off a roof. These guys. Anyway, Utnapishtim didn't do any of that dumb shit. No, he was <laughs> rad. And he does like the same story beats of like, you're going to need a boat. It's got to be this many cubits wide, this many cubits tall. You're going to put some cubits. animals on it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, as the floodwaters recede, he sends birds out to find dry land. Does the whole thing. Wait, yeah, so like, Gilgamesh has to repeat the flood? No. No. So to clarify, yeah. Utnapishtim is a legendary figure from the dawn of humankind who was the one chosen to survive the flood that okay. was meant to wipe out all humans. And he has been sort of preserved eternally as like the one chosen pious human. So Gilgamesh knows about him as this famous mythological mm. figure from the deep past. Right. So he goes to find him where no one's ever been before. He uh, travels forever doing his super long stride, being so many cubits tall. And he comes cubits. to the mountains <laughs> where the sun rises and sets each day. And there's scorpion men that guard it. It's the rock again. Because yes! every time the sun comes, you know, down to the earth, they have to protect it when it's close. I don't know why. Oh, they protect the sun? They protect the sun. That's cool. Clacky yeah, that's like the Egyptian story, it's right? Beach. But like probably wider. Yeah. Scorpion man. Whatever. Yeah. It's sick. Super cool. 
And uh, Gilgamesh tells him, like, I'm Gilgamesh. I'm the greatest. You gotta let me through here to follow the path of the sun to the edge of the world where Utanapishni is. And they're like, he's right. He's right. Gilgamesh, so cool. Go, man. You can do it. Because um, he's, like, very sad. He's and he's, saddest, like, telling everyone he's so sad. Yeah, everyone asks him, like, hey, if you're Gilgamesh, the great hero that's done all these things, how come you look like a sad idiot? And he's like, because <laughs> life sucks. I had everything and my friend died, and it's meaningless. I'm making a light of it, but it's, it's really tragic <laughs> as he keeps going. Yeah. And it's sick because everyone can relate. Yep. Right? Like, no matter what you're Scorpion man, I mean. Yeah. <laughs> just speaks to me. <laughs> um, yeah, here, uh, one more question put in there for you. Gilgamesh has to follow the path of the sun. Sunrise, sunset, one day. How long do you think it takes him traveling through the darkness under the mountains before he comes out to get to the where the sun is? Oh, uh, he's real um, fast, right? Is he fast yeah, or is he, is he slow because he's sad? No, let me do a quick calculation. If his height is 11 cubits and or it's fucking whatever. His stride is like <laughs> six. Yeah. How many rods was it again? Rod and a half <laughs> per cubit. Okay. Oh, okay. So uh, yeah, three days? Is it three? But it's three. 300 days. Both wrong. It takes Damn. 12 double hours. Which, oh. uh, it, like, if that's. How many cubits in a double hour? <laughs> Six, unless it's a Wednesday or a leap year. Um, right, 12 hours, uh, 12 double hours made sense to me because this is the journey of the sun, like, across the sky, the whole night and day thing. He makes it through the dark, terrifying space under the mountains and comes to a beautiful garden of, like, crazy fruit-jeweled trees. Like, jewels are Ooh. growing as fruit on these trees. And beyond that is a tavern at the edge of the sea, great sea that goes out into nothing. And there he finds Shiduri, the tavern keeper. She is, uh, like, goddess of wisdom. I am always struck by how fucking awesome and modern it feels to have, like, a tavern at the edge of the world. Yeah. Like, like the world itself is about to give out. You're in this, like, bizarre, metaphorical, liminal space, and there's, like, a tavern and someone inside who's going to explain shit to you. Like, that seems like such a modern storytelling convention Dude, to me. totally. It's, like, it's literally the Douglas Adams... Um, Right. Hitchhiker's Guide thing. Yeah. It's the IHOP in The Good Place, the interdimensional house of pancakes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah, it's all this. Um, it Jeremy always Barry. made me... <laughs> it made me think of Chrono Trigger when I was oh. younger uh, and read this university, just with like the, the end of time being like a chill hangout place with a weird guy. And a lamppost, um, just being creepy and cool. Lamp. Hell yeah. Mysterious lamp. Yeah, I don't know. It just like it's it just tickles me so nicely that it's like our oldest story right. and such like a cool, uh, mysterious idea, such a potent image. I love it. So I am Some awestruck that cool. people so far away and possibly across time from where I am now have the same like cultural reference points. It's right. it <laughs> makes me so happy. Uh, would this be like Italy where he is? Like, <laughs> I'm just oh, curious because it's maybe. like the sea. Uh, like, would it be the Red Sea? I don't know what their world looked like if it was like a disc on the back of four elephants on a turtle or what. Did he get there and they were like, Abondanza, allora. <laughs> do you want the chinky? Do you want the uh, limoncello? I don't know why I keep doing this Italian, but like, I want to get good at it. <laughs> I so. think it's the Mario influence. We do too much it of probably that. probably is. It's just like, oh yeah, that's not how real humans sound. But I'm trying to think of like where he was, like... Uh, the close to Iraq, would that be like the the 
It could be towards the Mediterranean, like if you wanted to see it that way. It it doesn't give like a direction he travels. So, and like if the sun rises and sets there, is it like a big circle? I don't really know. Mm, That's a good point. Yeah, I've been thinking about that. So probably not Italy. But maybe. Magic Italy. (laughs) (laughs) So at the tavern at the end of the world, Shiduri, the goddess of wisdom and keeper of said tavern, uh, says... If you're this legendary hero king, why are you so nasty? Yeah. And Gilgamesh does his same stories. I'm fucking sad. I am gaunt. <laughs> I am in animal skins. My only friend died and life is meaningless unless I become immortal. Um, and she's like, well, that's tough shit, dude. That ocean, only Shamash, the sun god, can cross that. And uh, even after the ocean, there's the waters of death. You touch those, you die. Oh. And, <laughs> Gilgamesh is yeah, pretty upset. And she's like, well, there is a ferryman, Urshanabi, <laughs> ferryman of Utanapishti. And Gilgamesh mm. is like, yep, that, that works for me. He's got uh, a bunch of like stone men as uh, sailors or whatever. And Gilgamesh just like fucking charges them and murders them. <laughs> and he uh, yeah has Urshanabi at sword point. And he's like, take me across the waters. And he's like, well, maybe I could if you didn't kill all my sailors. So they have to make a new boat. <laughs> and Gilgamesh cuts down some more trees and makes a raft. And uh, takes his captive ferryman out to sea. <laughs> yeah, It's like a funny moment where he's like doing a hero thing and fighting some weird dudes to accomplish a goal. And the dude's like, uh, actually, they're just boat guys. But like, I think the goddess is like, you got to deal with his like weird stone dudes who are dangerous or something. <laughs> yeah. And they're just so it's like, not his fault. Not entirely. Of- Sailors on like overtime, just like yeah. It seems like being a sailor crash. made of stone is like a terrible idea. Yeah, yeah, definitely not union work. This is a one piece <laughs> shout out. Shout out to one piece. <laughs> nice. Yeah, don't be a sailor if you sink and can't float in water. It's a bad idea. Bad idea. Also, don't watch One Piece. It goes on forever. I was gonna say, <laughs> tell that to a thousand episodes. Of yeah. That <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so they, they are going. They do, uh, when they get to the waters of death, uh, Gilgamesh starts using punting poles, which I'm not entirely sure what they are, but like, to, uh, he becomes a gondolier of the dead waters. And oh, and the moon hits your <laughs> leg, a you pizza pie. I'm missing Mournful singing, the saddest gondolier. Um, and then after they get through that part, it's just a little bit more ocean. And they get naked and make a sail out of their clothes. Nice. <laughs> and mm. then it, just, it switches perspective. So Utanapishti sees them and is like, what the hell is that? What am I looking at? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> they arrive in boat. And he's like, well, that's weird. Normally you have a ferry with stone sailors. Oh, well. And uh, he says, like, who are you? He does the whole, I'm Gilgamesh. I am heroic, but I am sad. And that is why I look homeless and upset. <laughs> and Utanapishti is... Uh, pretty sure like yep well you're also an idiot i did this whole flood thing that's how i became immortal it's not something i can just give you it was bestowed upon me for my excellent deeds also my wife uh (laughs) also this is my wife (laughs) (laughs) she also gets to be immortal because i'm a cool noah that didn't fuck his kids he got a plus one to the yep listeners it is it is not uh there's not consensus that noah (laughs) On Sex this podcast, there is. I'll find the parts. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So he's like, well, 
get out of here. <laughs> Gilgamesh is sad and thinks this is terrible. But uh, Utanapishti's wife is like, hey, man, he came all this way. You can, you can give him a shot or whatever. He says, all right, here's how I'll make you immortal. I love this. Yeah, stay awake for six days and seven nights. Uh-oh. Which, to my ears, is like, oh, that's the exact amount of time in Kidu's first direction lasted. Interesting. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And nice. Gilgamesh is like, no problem. I'm the best at this. Here I go. Instantly falls asleep. <laughs> and uh, Utopishti says to his wife, like, he's not going to believe this. Here, bake, bake bread like you always do. We'll just go about our days. Because Gilgamesh was, like, fully asleep for six days. He has had a long, long journey. Hasn't probably gotten any good sleep since before Enkidu died. He's stressy and depressy, and he just needs a little <laughs> time to recover. Yeah. He needs a little nap. Nappy poo. That'll help. Right. So when uh, he gets up, <laughs> Utopishti's like, nope, sorry, you, you did not do it. And he's like, what do you mean? You, you just woke me up. I was only asleep a second ago. <laughs> And he's like, no, check it out. Look at all this bread my wife made every day. And you can see this bread, super moldy. It's been six days. <laughs> I have bread proof. Check this bread calendar. That is genius. I, mm, I'm yeah. going to start using my bread to track time. because <laughs> To tell time. Because <laughs> honestly, it's going too fast. And yeah, dude. I didn't sign up for this. I already do. Because like every last weekend sandwich I have, there's one bite that's like, oh, good. Mold taste. Mm. Right. Fantastic. <laughs> this has really been getting my goat lately. I love the idea of someone being like, what time is it? And then someone else just quietly scrutinizing bread for like minutes. They have like a bread watch. They have a little bun on their wrist. It's like, okay, what time is it? Yeah, you would like sniff it. Mm. Um, So I'm like still fascinated by that uh, catch that it's the same amount of time that Enkidu uh, had sex with a woman. Do you think that means that like if... Enkidu, like if a person was still in that state state of like primal innocence, that they they could could attain that? that? That's a good question because they definitely like don't take Gatorade breaks or sleeping time. They just be fucking. So yeah, and not in terms of just like of being able to not sleep that long, but like as a as a metric for like being deserving of immortality or something. The same way that like in the Garden of Eden, they're like immortal until they have. The, the stuff spoiled with the knowledge of good and evil. Right. And then they start um, sort of like, like aging like the bread. Y- uh, like the bread. <laughs> you have to. Yeah. Yeah. You have to be perfect, quote unquote, to like be divine in that way. I don't know. I'm just spitballing. I think here, there's something I like there. It. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Something about resisting more like human urges that we have in built into society. Yeah. Uh, and like that's the the central theme with all of these regional ancient stories is that like we have fallen in some way Hmm. Um, like society and human knowledge. And also like the, we are non-divine because we have to do these like mundane earthly things, but like maybe we didn't used to, I don't know. Yeah. If I didn't have to work, I would be fucking glorious. Uh, My beard would be oiled. (laughs) I would be like way more cubits high. Dan Kidu. Dan Kidu. Dan Kidu. You don't. Yeah. (laughs) I, I love that. For this long in the history, at least, we've missed what we had when we were animals. Like the, in some aspects of like the freedom or the maybe yeah. the innocence or the, the connection to nature. Like there's so many times when I'm walking by a bird and I've seen videos of other animals like being chill with other animals. Like when like predators being able to exist with their prey because they're not actively hunting them and there's some kind of agreement 
that they have between them of like, at this moment, you are not a threat. And maybe we can even interact with each other in a nice way. Like deer and bears, they don't always run Murder away from inside. each other. There, like, there was a very rich text that explored this. It was called, um, uh, oh, Zootopia. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. I'll, I'll invest right? in critic. It was the distrust of the prey that ruined that Zootopia. There are other relationships and like interactions between animals that we don't really understand because we've lost that in some way. Or like our other heightened consciousness in some aspects diminishes other sensory inputs or, or interpretations of the nature that other animals still seem to have access to. Yeah. There's there's like literal truth to that in that we can trace our genealogy back to like we are part of the whatever the animal kingdom. But like it's also big time more of like a romanticizing on our part than it is like a true. That's fair. Thing that we think we had and must return to like. Because um, most of the time we were getting eaten or like. Yeah, injured. like. Which is and who's to say that we've actually lost like the qualities of being like a quote unquote innocent natural being? We might just have that on top of our whatever human sentience consciousness. We might be thinking around that constantly. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's <laughs> so maybe point. that does spoil it. But uh, but it's interesting, right? Like we recognize the innocence mm-hmm. of animals is some way like inherently better than. Uh, you know, like people are a lot more sensitive to a dog uh, being hurt or treated poorly than a lot of people. Right? Because yeah. we're like, ah, he made his choice. But that dog don't know. <laughs> but also, yeah. there's more research looking at how animals communicate. Like there's been uh, with AI, especially not that I'm shouting out AI, but it helps us uncover more where like turtle mothers will be in the ocean calling to their babies in the sand. Like, there are specific calls that mummy turtles do to baby turtles and mummy bats do to baby bats and baby bats practice their calls. Like, there are certain things that we don't fully understand that, like, we think that we're so far from nature, but in reality, like, like, they do have... have names. There's, like, different levels of consciousness that we don't want to admit that animals have. Definitely. Well, I thought you were saying... Right. I, I thought you were trying to use that to explain, like, there are certain things that we thought we could chalk up to like some instinct, like some built in animal knowledge that are actually explained by just like things like communication and intelligent behavior that we didn't have a way to quantify. Mm -hmm. Right. And a lot of that is like, we just couldn't put ourselves in that position to be like, Oh yeah, they probably do love their children. Right. (laughs) Or at least like (laughs) makes sense. You can ascribe love to the kind of like self-sacrificing behavior and protection of something smaller than you for no inherent gain. Right. But anyway, yeah. we're answering the questions that Gilgamesh asked mm-hmm. ago. This is what he dreamed about for his <laughs> long bread nap. Kissing bulls. <laughs> so he is ashamed. He can't believe how hard he fails his nap test. And uh, this is when the wife of Utnapishti says, hey, he came so far. Let him try. Come on. And he's like, all right, fine. There's a magic plant that'll make you immortal anyway. <laughs> and Gilgamesh is like, the, what the, what? Okay, (laughs) cool, I guess. I'll just go back over the ocean in the waters of death and do that then. Uh, He tells him it's this plant at the bottom of the ocean. It's it looks like a box thorn, whatever that is. He calls it the plant of heartbeat and says, hey, you eat this, you will be rejuvenated. Immortality. You can do it, Gilgamesh. You're our favorite king. I believe in you. um, Before we get off Utnapishti, Mm -hmm. uh, can I do that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Please do. Um, Because 
I love this part of the story because, like, I, I think we've made it clear, Gilgamesh is very sad, mm-hmm. uh, and he's sad about mortality. He's going which through he it. never. Yeah, he ne- like he's sad for his dead friend, but he's also sad because like his friend's tragic death um, clarified the truth of the universe to him, and he's feeling pretty emo about it. Um, and so one of the things, like he he goes to Utnapishti, and Utnapishti tells him about the flood story, but he, they also, like, Gilgamesh tells him his story regarding Enkidu and how he feels about life and doesn't have any hope. So anyway, uh, this is also from the Andrew George translation. Uh, Utnapishti says to Gilgamesh, Enkidu indeed they took to his doom, but you, you toiled away, and what did you achieve? You exhaust yourself with ceaseless toil. You fill your sinews with sorrow, bringing forward the end of your days. Man is snapped off like a reed in a cane break. The comely young man, the pretty young woman, all too soon in their prime death abducts them. Ever do we build our households, ever do we make our nests, ever do brothers divide their inheritance, ever do feuds arise in the land. Ever the river has risen and brought us the flood, the mayfly floating on the water, on the face of the sun, its countenance gazes. Then all of a sudden, nothing is there. Fucking uh, yeah. It's so good. <laughs> He's like, uh, Gilgamesh is like, what if I die? And Utnapishtim, the only immortal, is like, yeah, what if you do, motherfucker? <laughs> like, what if you're a part of the world, you idiot? Right. Wow. Yeah, he is not ready for that. <laughs> I love it so much. It's uh, it's beautiful also, um, even in English. But yeah. yeah, I wonder what it would have sounded like. Right, they do Not try. so much in yeah. like couples. You should take a look at the book itself because, like, the way they relate the lines from the tablet is really fascinating. And like, I don't know, uh, it, it is infinitely perplexing to think about the rhythm and sound that this like ancient form was put into. Would it have been yeah. Babylonian? And actually, like the, the uh, at one point, yep, and then Sumerian. yeah, and before that, Akkadian and mm. Sumerian. Just from the same conversation to put a pin on it, Gilgamesh says to him, what can I do? Where can I go? A thief has stolen my flesh. Death lives in the house where my bed is. And wherever I set my feet, there death is. And Utnapishtim says, humans are born, they live, then they die. That is the order the gods have decreed. But until the end comes, enjoy your life. Spend it in happiness, not despair. Savor your food. Make each of your days a delight. Bathe and anoint yourself. Wear bright clothes that are sparkling clean. Let music and dancing fill your house. Love the child who holds you by the hand and give your wife pleasure in your embrace. That is the best way for a man to live. Don't it always seem to go? Right, and he's he's right. It's been 4,000 years. We haven't thought of a better thing than that. (laughs) We haven't talked. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Every philosopher is bullshit. We couldn't get past (laughs) this idea. That you don't know what you've got till it's gone. Yeah, it does remind me a lot of the Iliad. Um as well oh sure like Iliad is about immortality in fighting but it is also about like Achilles and others ultimately learning like oh maybe maybe that's dumb (laughs) (laughs) I have some regrets (laughs) yeah (laughs) an Achilles story don't it always seem to go that you don't know what you got till it's gone it'd be a paradise put up a fucking line Yeah, thank you for that digression. I just think no, it's pretty. I think that's awesome. so good to tie it in because, like, thematically, again, 
this whole story is like a path of our understanding and acceptance of death. Hmm. Gilgamesh yeah. starts not caring. He doesn't have consequences or people he loves, so he's an asshole. He learns to be attached to the world and people around him. And then finally comes back here, like after the fear and shame of not being able to accomplish his immortality feat. And mm. uh, then we get to where we're at. He finds the plant. He swims down. He's like, oh, fucking yes. I'm going to go home. I'm going to give some of it to a super old man. See if he becomes young. And then I will know it works and I'll eat it. Be young forever. Mm-hmm. And on the way back whoa, whoa. through. Did he ever like, promise t- youth? though like it's not botox it's just a <laughs> fruit that keeps you alive like no udnapishtim did like that this plant i don't think it's immortality but, but i think it's it rejuvenation makes you, makes you oh, young I see. so he could like do life at least a second life even if it wouldn't make him immortal we're not sure yeah interesting okay yeah. but it's a long trip back to uruk and at one point gilgamesh is taking a bath and last question of the whole shadil shadil i say uh <laughs> What do you think takes the plant from Gilgamesh? Oh, monkey. Buzz, monkey. <laughs> Buzz, monkey. monkey. <laughs> Tom, do you know? It's a snack. That's right. Oh. The ultimate enemy of Dan Kind is still here behind the scenes, taking our one <laughs> shot of immortality. That sounds he awful familiar. He says, this familiar. smells so good. He takes it, Dude. he leaves, he sheds his skin. He's like, oh, I guess I'm immortal now. Cool. Snake happy forever. <laughs> and then that snake goes on. Oh, wait, is it the same one? That then is possessed by Satan to yeah. possess. <laughs> yes. He's on his way to the garden. Is he pogo yeah. sticking his way over there? Like- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he learns how to be upright until it's time to ruin a different mythical civilization. <laughs> I know. It's, uh, it's no fucking accident, right? Like, it's not Satan in the original Old Testament story, but it is a snake. And Mesopotamians... Including the Israelites were just really concerned about snakes. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So Gilgamesh sees his prize is gone and he weeps and he says to Urshanabi, the boatman, for whom Urshanabi toiled my arms so hard, for whom ran dry the blood of my heart. Not for myself did I find a bounty, for the lion of earth I have done a favor. Now far and wide the tide is rising. Having opened the channel, I abandoned the tools. What thing would I find that served as my landmark? Had I only turned back and left the boat on the shore? And then 20 leagues later, they break bread. They're doing a whole thing and they get back to Uruk. And the very last lines we have of the epic are Gilgamesh resigned to his fate, seeing that like, you know, even my legend won't outlive me, but maybe... Like human society, the walls I've built and the people within them, maybe they can. It says, oh, Urshanabi, climb Uruk's wall and walk back and forth. Survey its foundations. Examine the brickwork. Were its bricks not fired in an oven? Did the seven sages not lay its foundations? A square mile is city. A square mile date grove. A square mile is clay pit. Half a square mile, the temple of Ishtar. Three square miles and a half is Uruk's expense. Wait, did we get miles from, from... Uh, I think that's the translated oh, Lear okay. measure. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how many cubits. Yeah. Cubits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the real key to unlock. Sorry to this. interrupt. Sorry to interrupt. No, but that's, that's the end. It's the start of the poem where he's talking about how great his walls are and how fantastic Gilgamesh is. And then he comes back to it with, like, the wisdom of and, like, all the experience points from trying this adventure and... Even if he doesn't have what he thought he, you know, the reward that he was looking for, 
It's his wisdom and understanding, his acceptance of death, and that he is still human like everybody else, and all things will end. Dude, and like, because this story is way too fucking ahead of its time, uh, I can't remember if you already said this, but the first words of the story are also echoed at this scene at the very end. Yeah. Uh, the man, Gilgamesh, he who saw the deep. And that is actually what the story was titled in various forms. Right, he before it was compiled the into the epic of Gilgamesh. Yeah, he yeah. who saw the deep. And it, like, because he, so he does dive down to the deep of the ocean to get the the um, plant in pursuit of immortality. But also, much more interestingly, he is a man who saw, like, the boundaries of life and realized his place in them and like struggled against it, but ultimately returned to a normal human life with this like new appreciation for, you know, the walls are of Uruk are the central like sort of metaphor for this contemplation. Mm -hmm. But like he who saw the deep is also like way fucking ahead of its time. Yeah. It's so amazing. Like, Oh my God. Uh, it is incredible yeah. and very moving. Um, can I do the the opening thing again? Uh, sure. Like just to sure. show the yeah. symmetry of it? Do it. He who saw the deep, the country's foundation, who knew the proper ways, was wise in all matters. Gilgamesh, who saw the deep, the country's foundation, who knew the proper ways, wise in all matters. They repeat a lot of stuff. He explored everywhere the seats of power. He knew of everything, the sum of wisdom. He saw what was secret, discovered what was hidden. He brought back a tale of before the deluge. He came a far road, was weary, found peace. All his labors were set on a tablet of stone. He built the rampart of Uruk, the sheepfold, of holy Iana, the sacred storehouse. See its wall like a strand of wool. View its parapet that none could copy. Take the stairway of a bygone era. Draw near to Iana, seat of Ishtar, the goddess, that no later king could ever copy. Uh, yeah. And the, or yeah, then just the last thing. Climb Uruk's wall, walk back and forth, survey the foundations, examine the brickwork. Were its bricks not fired in an oven? Did the seven sages not lay its foundation? A square mile is city, a square mile is date grove, etc. Right? It, yeah. It's, it's so cool. It's incredible. Uh, and so it's like the story begins laying out like sort of the wisdom that he will acquire throughout the course of the story. But then when we go to his, his starting point, like he's an asshole, he's a stupid jerk. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And so it's like, it is the story of an antihero, like finding his humanity through, through things in the world and heroic deeds and sacrifice. But like, he also, it's not like he ends up perfect or ends up all good. I I kind of do see it that way that he's like changed by this and he will be more just in the memory of Enkidu and his mortality. But like, He's just like he's within the borders of of, you know, the world like you can't escape it. You, you're a part of it, even if you're the mightiest guy in it. Um, no matter how many cubits you are. <laughs> you can't escape. Right. How many cubits to heaven? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's such a like human ending. I think he is such a like more well-rounded person at the mm-hmm. end. It's that. Yeah. Uh, good place. Quote. That all humans are aware of death, so we're all a little bit sad all the time, and yeah. that's just the deal. I, I like it so much. It's <laughs> so, like, humble and humbling but profound. We're all a little bit sad, and we want to keep the best parts of everything with us at all mm-hmm. times, but that's what babies get. That's not what humans get. They get... Uh, I really like that he becomes more human 
over the story in some yeah. ways. Like, right. is it diminishing his like God side of himself? He, he spends time like like he. I'm so fascinated by every aspect of the story, but like he he ends up putting himself back as like a part of humanity or nature. Maybe I shouldn't use the word nature because that's like a very distinct thing in this story. But like he meets the guy who survived the deluge and he also destroys a monster that is like cited as sort of being an embodiment of all these like primordial hmm. mythic world destroying things like the deluge and the great fire and death. Like that's what Humbaba like is. So catastrophe. He, yeah. Right. And so he defeats it with the help of the gods, but he still does it like really more with the help of like primal man in Enkidu. Hmm. But that's still not enough for him to be outside of the picture. Right. The natural order. He has not escaped destined death is yeah. the rules of the universe stuff that I love seeing. <laughs> um, and again, like what really struck me as I was putting this together is that like it's his relationship to death. And that's like such a sophisticated and nuanced take on it. Like death is sort of uh, like Utanapishti says, like this constant companion in life where mm. it shouldn't be a scary thing because it's it's there. Like the possibility of it is there all the time. But all it really does is make sure that you know you have to cherish the time you have. Yeah. Right? Like, because it's, it's how we all end. Fact. I'm, God. I'm no escaping that. There's, like, no no question about it. Like, I'm a sure. regular old human Joe. But it's it's gotten to a point now where, like, it feels so far away that I'm more scared of people I love dying than, mm -hmm. than myself. It, 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 you sure. know, like if someone was holding me up at knife point, like obviously that's what I'm most scared of in that moment. But like it, <laughs> it is just a matter of like who I get to to be with until I'm totally with you. Like it, it seems like life could be infinitely worse if I didn't have these relationships that I that sustain me, that I live my mm -hmm. life for. So like the prospect of them coming to an end is wild and world shattering like it is with Gilgamesh right he doesn't know how to live as himself anymore after mm. Enkidu's gone yeah he wants to reject reality yeah. like he wants to not accept it and I'm totally with you I'm scared all the time for this kind of stuff but I really want to be like to see death as that friend that's there for you in the end like the release I think that's you know, how a natural life goes is eventually like stuff hurts. I don't know how your backs are doing, your muscles, your aches and pains, the scars <laughs> you sort of gain and weigh on you. Like yeah. my body is worse than it was and it's still pretty great. Don't worry. I'm handsome and strong and powerful, <laughs> covered in hair, run with gazelles all the time. But it won't always be that way. And I hope that I get to, you know, live a long, happy life full of all the good things Utanapishti described and then am ready to be done. Like, that's that's what I want. Worst fears lie in anticipation. Um, it's death is a release, and you know, same thing that all of you, both of you said, goes for me. All of them. Uh, but but yeah, like e projecting our anxieties onto the deaths of loved ones or ourselves is like genuinely worse than the act of death happening a lot of the time. That's not. I'm not trying to downplay how horrible it is to lose a loved one, but it's like once it's happened, it's like yeah, no, and it's happened. That's what it really makes me think of our arrival discussion a lot oh, wow. is that like yeah. the people you know are, are a part of you forever we don't perceive time the same way but that has happened and will always have happened you guys are part of my life i love you yeah like when you used to push me around a laundry basket hell oh, yeah i'll never forget and uh <laughs> yeah all of our times 
where we just got to hang out and watch Fresh Prince of Bel-Air in the basement. I'll yeah, dude. Forget. And again, it's why I'm so glad we're doing this. Because yeah. there will be a record of it. It makes me think like in between recordings, this is the anxiety part I should, you know, this is Gilgamesh talk to a professional too. about. But like, <laughs> if I'm dead before the next recording, I want to make sure <laughs> this one has in an audio form for everyone to hear. I love you all so much. I've been oh. so happy. My life is so good, you guys. I'm going to live forever. I love my siblings. (laughs) (laughs) I love my dear, my brothers, my brothers. I can't do it. I also love you guys, but I resent being backed into a corner where now I have to say it for an audience or I'm the only one who didn't say it. I did say it. I love you. Yeah. Guys, he is the editor. He's editing lying. it all after. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We don't have to have the like extremely sad thing, but it really I love does. Burgers. <laughs> I love burgers. <laughs> We're going to A and W. Our smarmy feelings here speak to the potency of this story. It gets us to the heart of everything, which yeah. is how do we feel about death and each other? I love Gilgamesh. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm really trying to say. Gilgatomesh and Danky do. Eh. I think they were kissing brothers, so That's I don't think true. we need to... Too late. Let's be Macho Man. Yeah. <laughs> Can't prove it, though. Uh, oh, Not man. unless we want to learn some... Oh, you know what? Last bonus question to uh, liven up the mood at the end before yeah. we go to our paid advertisements. What is the Babylonian, the earlier name, of Gilgamesh? Oh. I know it, but I'll give Sarah a chance um, to guess. Buzz. Yep. Is it uh, Baby Boy Biggins? Oh my I don't God, know. She's done it. <laughs> well, I can't believe she just no scoped that. No, I know Tom knows it, so I just want to say it. It's Bilgamesh. Yeah. Not Gil G Mesh. That tickles me to no end. Bill? Bilgamesh. Because it's, yeah, it's, it's how I would name these guys. There's Bilgamesh. Who's Enki do? Was it like, uh, like Jonathan? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. That's really, that's really something. Thank you for that. That's a gift. A little amuse boost. The epic of Bill and Greg. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's what we write in the like Godot modernist (laughs) retelling. Thank you so much for this, Dan. This is something that I've been curious about, but uh, a little intimidated by for a long time, as I know... Hmm. That just that like it seems so old and like important and fundamental, but also you know sometimes that can make it hard to approach. And it's something you totally. hear a lot around, like Gilgamesh. You hear that come up and referenced, but not always gone into in detail. So totally, you just hear like Gilgamesh is the oldest story, and then like maybe and that's Mesopotamia about like a dirty guy he's friends with. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or you see a very confusing anime clip on TikTok when you're looking this up right before recording. And think, <laughs> that can't be right. Yeah, if you Google either of these, like the third or fourth image is just like a beautiful white anime fanboy. Yeah. And it's like, stop doing that to everything, Japan. Stop. You need to slow down. <laughs> you need to give your animators a fucking break because this is not worth it. Yep. <laughs> we can do better. Yeah. <laughs> Tom's Anime Corner. Tom's anime hater corner. Good. Somebody needs <laughs> Me to. And, yeah, Miyazaki He's smoking and being like, this sucks. <laughs> You're a real Otomku. This sucks and I hate my son. My son stinks. <laughs> <laughs> you can't do it. I'll never retire. Poor Goro. 
Oh, wow. All right. So from all of us here at Paragon Marathon, thanks for listening, everybody. I'm Dan. I'm Sarah. I'm Tom. Say whom bye-bye, ancient Babylonian babies. Whom bye-bye. Bye-bye. Last thing, I saw a really funny 4chan chat where a guy was like, yeah, I buy primate mix for like (laughs) fertile male primates to start mating. I figure it's like, and it's like a dollar per pound. So (laughs) compared to like raw chicken, it's way. (laughs) Do you want want to blast ape loads for the ladies? (laughs) Then you got to get primate nutrient slurry.